Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, July 7th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein. I'm excited for this hour with you to answer your questions and give you my straight and unbiased answers. And I know most of your questions are uh, related to individual companies, but we love the broad questions as well about the, the economy, uh, certain sectors, etc. That that's always instructive for, for everybody. So uh, I encourage those calls as well. Now, today's investing situation is different than what you've seen in the past. And for a lot of people, it might be make them a little queasy. But to be honest, these times are actually good. They're good for the economy. They're good for long-term investors that are able to pick up the babies that have been thrown out the bathwater. And when it comes to the economy as a whole, it cleanses the bad firms, the bad actors, the misallocation of capital. And it re focuses people on the fundamentals of today, the here and now, and less on the pie in the sky ideas of, of hope uh, and innovation decades from now. It cleanses out those zombie firms that have a lot of debt. So bankruptcy is good, brings in new management, new ideas. And re, once again, refocuses people on the things that matter. You know, is it efficient for the economy for a lot of young people to be spending all this time with NFTs and cryptocurrency? That's not producing a whole lot today. Maybe there's energy into a, a, a crypto future that's frankly probably decades away. And some of that's good. But a ton of it is not exactly ideal, especially for productivity in our economy today. 
And these things go in cycles. And when people allocate capital, both time and money, towards a lot more towards things that are, are hopes far out in the future, it's less time and money allocated to things that are happening or that are needed today. Like building manufacturing capacity here in the US, building out refining capacity for our energy sector, building out clean energy projects, as well as finding the energy we need for the economy today. So while this time can be stressful for a lot of people, you have to look at it as a blessing. Blessing for your opportunity to pick up opportunities and to see through the other side when the economy will be on better footing, where, where capital will be allocated more appropriately. So I hope that helped give you a little give you a little perspective on today's market. And my goal here is to help you understand the current environment that we are in, avoid the pitfalls, and find those opportunities. So I invite your phone calls or questions right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, that's great too. You can leave a message on our anytime voicemail. That's eight 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 ninety nine chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Steve and Justin. This is Art from Tucson again. I'm looking at Unilever, UL, wondering what you think about this stock for a long-term hold and where you see a good price point to get into it. Thanks, and I'll, I'll listen on the uh, podcast. All right, look at Unilever, and this is one of the, uh, one of the largest consumer defensive companies out there, $121 billion market cap. They're out of the U.K., broadly diversified in their business. 42% of their sales uh, came from personal products. Home care was 20%, packaged food, 38%. They have brands like Norse Soup, Hellman's Mayonnaise, Lipton Tea, Axe Body Spray, Dove, Skincare, Tresemme hair care products, etc. They also bought Dollar Shave Club uh, a, a few years back. So very well diversified across the world. And they've been down pretty dramatically over the past year, 23% from its 52 week high. And that's a lot for a consumer defensive like this. And that's why this is a good example of why hard and fast rules about what constitute a big drop is hard to, to really come up with because it depends on what type of business you're speaking of, how stable the business is, uh, what type of debt they have, uh, et cetera, how diversified their business is. So Unilever being a consumer staple company, being well diversified globally and across different product categories down 23% says something. Now, this is also a good example of companies that struggle during an inflationary environment. It's a very competitive marketplace. Their input costs tend to go up, transportation, employees, input costs to those uh, the, the finished products. And Unilever struggled under that. They made $3.03 .03 in 2020, only $2.98 last year, only supposed to make $2.65 this year. But analysts are expecting that to go up next year, 8% to $2.86. And analysts are starting to upgrade the earnings expectations. So 
with inflation coming down, with inflation now moderating. That's going to be a tailwind for this type of name. It's again, in an inflationary world where inflation is accelerating, not so good for package package products, right? Consumer staples. So entering a better period, I would say the technicals are certainly firming up, kind of kind of a consolidating here right around the 100 day moving average. So I'm actually liking this, the value is pretty good. You're talking about 15 times forward looking earnings. And if you look at the key stats, let's take a look at price to sales ratio is right around two, which historically, uh, that's slightly below average. The, the median is 2.5 over the last five years. The average is also 2.5 and it's at around two. So slightly undervalued on a price to sales ratio, enterprise value to EBITDA, that's about 11 and a half. The median average is around a little over 12. So a little bit of discount there. So I think at this point, it's moderately cheap. It's entering a little bit better uh, uh, backdrop economically, uh, inflation wise. And if interest rates drop, it tends to it tends to act kind of like a bond proxy, yielding 4.2%. So in the medium term, I kind of like Unilever here. I like the fundamental backdrop and I like the technicals. So I'm going to give Unilever a thumbs up. Now, my focus point today is based on this question. What's the impact of the strong dollar in your portfolio? Now, the biggest rally in the U.S. currency in 20 years is taking a big bite out of non-U.S. fund performance. So we're going to look at that story and how to think about currency risk in your portfolio. Also, online ad sales. This has been a growth driver, a growth engine for Silicon Valley, for our, our general economy as a whole for better part of 20 years. And the issue now, though, is it's becoming a more mature industry, slower growing, and more tied to the economy. And we're going to look at some data that is going to feed into earnings for companies like Google, Facebook, and the like. So we're going to look at that. Also, private equity. You're starting to see some bad things out of private equity. If you have a lot of exposure to private equity, you should be a bit worried. And we're going to dig into that data as well. And then lastly, if we do have time, we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at some ESG uh, ratings that are being launched as well, and what the update is in that space. So that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. So give me a call. 888-99 chart. Let's go take a look at the market today. The S&P was up 57 points, uh, nearly 2% today. You had the 10-year. That was actually a bit higher, about nine basis points, back above 3% there. But what was interesting is midday, there was a report by one of the Fed presidents, uh, Bullard, that, or a statement at least, that he said, once inflation moderates, they'll return to cutting interest rates. And I think that is what the market's really focused on here is when will the Fed pivot? And uh, you got that first indication that they're discussing that, right? That they're not going to go from tightening 75 basis points to cutting rates in a short period of time. It's a process, just like the process of tightening policy was started with rhetoric and then that moved into action. QT and eventually raising rates. And that will be the same thing on the other end. It's it's always that way. So 
I think that what's that's what sparked the market today was that pivot from uh, at least the beginning, I think, of the pivot from the Federal Reserve. Now, it's an Invest Talk Thursday. I'm Justin Klein, and we are moving into a break, but I'm on duty ready for you and your questions. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk alize quiz. Hey, Justin or Steve, this is Tyler from Ohio. I had a question. Um, I've been looking at carparts.com, ticker symbol PRTS. You know, it's a small cap stock. I see some potential in it. Wanted to get you guys' opinion on it. You can just let me know what you think and um, what would be a good time to get in. Thanks, guys. All right, looking at PRTS, carparts.com. And this is the distributed aftermarket auto parts and repair information through a network of websites to individuals and they've been growing and they grow they grew a lot during the pandemic they actually earned some money in late 2020 but since then they've basically turned a, a loss uh, now they did turn a small profit last quarter uh, but revenue growth is decelerating rapidly fourth quarter of 2020 revenue growth was 90 percent but that's decelerated basically every single month, the next or and every single quarter since then. The quarter after that, it was 65%, then down to 32, then 21, and in the last two quarters, 15%. So I don't like that. I don't like that they're burning capital. I don't like that. Uh, this is a, a not a, uh, once again, a market for way out in the future. This is about companies that can produce profits and cash flow today. And while I think Near term, the technicals are firming up for a relief rally. I think that uh, that applies broadly to called the Ponzi sector, right? A lot of these companies that are down 70, 80, 90% from their high because they were just trading at absurd valuations. They've come down to still probably expensive, but uh, you know, for a lot of people, I think there's uh, uh, it's a crowd, there are crowded shorts. There's a lot of people that have sold out. Uh, and if the Fed does capitulate, that would relieve a little bit of pressure and you, you could see some some rallies. So near term, 
I think this could get caught up in in the relief rally for a lot of those uh, you know tech and, and growthier names, but it's not a company that I would own long term because of that uh, slowing growth dramatically, as well as the fact that they're still burning capital and losing money. So I'm passing on CarParts.com. Now we're going to take a break. On the other side, I will dig into my main focus point: what's the impact of the strong dollar on your portfolio? This is Invest Talk 99 chart. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 99 chart. Now, today's focus point is in regards to the strong dollar and foreign investments. Now, the dollar is on a very strong bull run, the strongest in pretty much 20 years. And this is good if you're trying to think inflation is going to come down. Uh, but that typically is tough on the economy. You have... That is a big factor in why we had negative economic growth in the first quarter was the trade deficit. Strong dollar hurts exports and thus it hurts exports because people buying our products and services, they have to use more of their currency and they tend to look elsewhere or buy less, right? Because it's relatively more expensive. And so that made the economy contract about 1.6% in the first quarter even though consumer spending was solid, business investment was solid, etc. So that shaved off about 3.2 percentage points of our GDP. So that's how it impacts us domestically. But abroad, it also has some negative effects, mainly with certain investments that are exposed to those currencies. Remember, when they translate those currencies back into dollars, earnings per share, Earnings per share are calculated when you're looking at it for, for, for in our terms, you're looking at it in dollars. And so if companies completely operate overseas or there may be multinational companies, think Microsoft, Coke, Procter & Gamble, Philip Morris, etc., they all were warning about recently about their uh, – they lowered their profit expectations because of currency impacts. Because when they translate those into dollars, they get less dollars, right? So that's one impact on actual companies. Another are sovereign countries that issue dollar denominated debt, but have to, but now their currency where a lot of their tax revenue is earned in, that's in local currency. And so it increased the risks of default. So a stronger dollar creates a lot of problems across the globe. And it's even more acute right now because it's, yes, we're raising rates. Everyone's kind of raising rates, but we're raising rates a lot faster than most other economies. Our 10-year rate, right around 3% right now. The 10-year German boomed only about one and a quarter. Japan's 10-year, about 25 basis points. So that spread is a lot wider than it usually is. And that's also contributing to the dollar being up about 10% this year to the highest level since 2002. 
And then you add on top of that, your geopolitical issues, Russian invasion of Ukraine, COVID lockdowns in China, worries about the EU and, and Great Britain going into a recession because of higher energy and food prices, etc. So all of this is weighing on other currencies. And remember, currencies are always relative. It's how much is this currency worth versus another currency? Okay. Now, when you're looking at investments, you can talk about, we talked about individual companies, but also there's funds that you might buy, ETFs, mutual funds, and a lot of international funds, most of them, they don't hedge against currency risk. But there are some that do, especially bond funds, emerging market bond funds, a lot of them do hedge against uh, the risk of, of, of the currency. But the big question for you is, should you be worried about it now? Do you worry about after this huge run? Yes, you should still worry about it, but kind of late to the game to make a big move. What I actually look at it as an opportunity to slowly shift over some investments to more foreign exposure, where I'm getting exposure to foreign currencies in some way. Now, you don't want to do it dramatically because the trend is still higher in the dollar, but at these levels, you want to start thinking about it because the Fed will pivot. There will be a time where we're loosening policy versus other central banks are tightening policy, and that will bring back down the dollar. So it's a great time to buy a little bit of international uh, exposure on this currency weak weakness, but you don't want to get overboard, especially emerging markets where there can be crises. You don't want to be caught up in a crisis. Okay. Uh, and so it's also not a time to buy the ones that hedge, but this is something you have to be aware of when you're allocating your portfolio, you're trying to figure out how to, what kind of exposure you want to have. And, uh, and it's just one of those risks you have to be aware of. And a lot of people aren't, especially big multinationals. They think, oh, Microsoft, it's an American company. I don't have currency risk. Wrong. Vast majority of these very large companies, they have a lot of foreign currency exposure because they operate worldwide. Okay, we're going to go to a break. And on the next and best talk, this story. In retirement, spending is often incredibly variable rather than static. So could the 4% guideline rest on a flawed assumption? Steve will get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time 
every time or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Hey, Steve or Justin, uh, this is Shannon in Florida. Just a long time listener, I haven't called in a while, but. Question about um, Roth IRAs. Basically, this year, my wife and I have had each our own separate Roth IRAs for a while now. We are getting, we're, you know, married, filing jointly for the taxes, and we're, at this point, we're going to be making too much money now to continue tr- contributing to a Roth IRA. So I, I do have a 401k with my company. Well, at what point do we just, I mean, it hasn't happened yet. It'll happen at the end, of, I guess, where I do my taxes or at the end of the year, but. At what point do I stop contributing to the Roth? Or how does that whole transition happen? And then if you could add to that, kind of what should I do from here? I mean, as far as maxing out my 401k or my company stock option with 15% off or do an IRA or something, what do you think we should pivot to? Uh, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, look forward to your call on the podcast. All right. Great question. Yeah. you. Sh- if you think you're going to be capped out on your income uh, for – Roth IRA contributions, and that depends on you know how you're filing, etc. But you need to stop those contributions. You're going to have to recharacterize them, likely putting them into a traditional IRA. So that would be uh, my next option: would be putting that into uh, a traditional IRA if you aren't capped on out on the write-offs for that. So I would think uh, I would talk to your CPA uh, about that. If that would be the first option, the next option would be your uh, your 401k contribution and trying to get that maxed out. Now, everyone should max out there uh, to make sure they're getting their match, but you know you can put up a, a lot more than your just your, your match uh, within your 401k. So I would go that route uh, next. So 
IRA number one, 401k number two, and then just a traditional brokerage account number three. Thanks for the call. Great question. Now let's pivot over to our Invest Talk podcast reviews on iTunes. We'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their question quickly. This is Steve M. Says, I bought Grinrod before the last dividend, GRIN, down nearly 30% since then. Uh, all the shipping stocks sank. Is this just the volatile sector, meaning hold and wait it out? Or am I missing something fundamental, meaning to get out uh, or at least cut the position? Also, watch Zim, the largest shipping company with good dividends and low P. What sh- should I buy the dip? So the simple answer is no. And this was a caller. I remember at Zim was, this was somewhere around early June. So if you go back and listen to, I think June 6th, June 7th, somewhere in there, uh, somebody called about Zim. And I basically said that the, uh, the shipping rates are coming down fast. And that means that earnings for this sector are going to mean revert pretty rapidly and analysts were expecting that anyway. Uh, and back in early June, it was trading in the mid to high 60s and quickly it sank all the way down. Yesterday it closed about 42, a little bump today, back up to about 44. But you can see that quick drop there. Uh, and this is, remember, that the market's always looking forward. So what the company earned last quarter and even, frankly, the quarter that we're in, the market doesn't care that much about it, as long as it's in the right ballpark. What the market cares about is, what does the next quarter look like? What does the next year look like? What does the next two years look like? Are we going to see growth or are we going to see contraction? Because that's what the market's going to start pricing in. Okay, And Grinrod, G-R-I-N, is very similar. It also is showing a, de- a, de- uh, a deceleration in earnings and revenue growth. And this is down 45% from its 52 week high, and you're being caught up in that. So the simple answer is you should be out of these. You have to look forward and forward earnings is likely to mean revert and Grinrod was losing money for the five years before the pandemic. And Zim, Z-I-M was losing money for the two years prior to the pandemic. So neither of these are names that I'm going to get excited about to invest in in the beginning of a down cycle. So pass on both. Now let's pivot over to online advertising. And this is important because it's a very different industry size-wise from the last down cycle, the last major recession, 08-09. During that period, total ad spending for digital advertising was only 12% of all ad, ad spending. Today, it's 67%. 67%. That's the amount of growth, the amount of money that has moved from other types of advertising, right? Prints and, and, uh, and video, et cetera, into online ad spending over the past decade plus. And so now ad spending is a lot more exposed to the broad economy. And that's why you're seeing companies like Google, Facebook, even Amazon, which has Amazon or has a, has ad sales department. They're all struggling because their business is very tied to the overall economy. Snapchat said in late May that quote, the 
ec- the macroeconomic environment has definitely deteriorated further and faster than we expected, end quote. And what did they do? They warned that revenue and earnings for the second quarter were going to be well below the forecast it gave just a month prior. So quickly, April, May, June, those three months, the second quarter certainly saw a strong deceleration in the economy. And you saw that in the jobs market as well with unemployment claims rising pretty steadily. Then you had Zuckerberg. They slashed, uh, for Facebook, slashed its engineering hiring target for the year by 30%. And he said that the current state of affairs is, quote, one of the worst downturns that we've seen in recent history, end quote. Now, Facebook's ad business is way bigger than Snapchat's. And they expect no growth year over year in the second quarter. That's the first time that will happen in the company's history. So that's why you're wondering why Facebook is down so much, or I guess Meta, M-E-T-A, it's a new symbol. That's why you go from a business that's growing pretty nicely to a business that is trending negatively, now flat year over year. What does that mean next? Probably shrinkage in the third quarter. And FactSet says the combined revenue from Meta, Alphabet, Twitter, Snap, Pinterest, and the ad segment of Amazon expect to only be up 9% year over year. That's way down from the 17% year over year growth in the first quarter and the slowest growth since the pandemic. Now, Google's main ad business, search business, is still going to expect to be up about 12% year over year, uh, but YouTube's slowing and a lot, a lot of them are getting their their lunch eaten by TikTok as well. So you have that uh, issue with the Chinese uh, company trying to steal a lot of uh, the ad dollars. So this is a big trend that I think is just getting started. And I've always said this about the face, especially Facebook and Google, very, very cyclical business. And if you look at the trends historically, you haven't really seen it because there was a secular growth underneath. So even in a recession, they were still growing nicely. But now they're a mature business. They're once again, two thirds of ad spending is online. And so they're going to be very tied to the economy. And that's why you're seeing growth go flat, basically year over year and likely next go negative. Now summer is here. And I'll bet that a lot of people are amazed at how the investment environment has changed in just a short period of time. Remember last year, it was crypto was flying, NFTs were popular. It was a very different environment. Rates were very, very low. The Fed was still in emergency stance. Well, times have changed. Inflation back then was accelerating, but wasn't worrisome. Now the opposite is the case. So this goes to show you how quickly things can change, not only negatively, but it can turn positively as well. You could be in a lot better position a year from now. But are you prepared? That's the big question. So I encourage you, if you need help understanding your financial situation, how your portfolio and your strategy aligns or does not align with your overall goals and concerns, well, I encourage you to reach out to myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KP Financial, and take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. 
Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We love to help you in any way. Now, next up, we will tackle another caller question. So hang on. Our InvestTalk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm calling in with a question on ETF. It's the Vanguard Short-Term Inflation Protected Securities Index Fund, V. TIP. I was looking to buy this for my retirement account, which I think I'm maybe retiring in maybe about five years or so. Would this be a good time to get into this with interest rates rising, or is it better to wait until rates go heading back down? So I just wanted to get your opinion overall, and um, I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you. All right. This is the Vanguard Short-Term Inflation Protected Securities ETF, VTIP. And this is struggling because inflation expectations are rolling over. And this is down. Let's look at the performance here. It's down so far this year, not a lot, about 1.6%. So definitely better than the overall uh, the overall bond market. But it's a lot of that loss is just in the past couple of weeks. So it just shows you that inflation expectations are waning, and that feeds into the tips market. So you don't want to be buying that as inflation expectations slow. Long term, is it better than probably your a, tra- a straight up treasury holding? Sure, but I think there's much better inflation hedges than tips, because in an inflationary environment, the best credit quality in the world isn't really what you want. You don't need triple A credit rating like the U.S. government has. Because in an inflationary world, prices go up across the board, companies can pay back their debts easier, etc. So that's why deflation, deflationary impulse like you had during COVID, like you had in 08, that is carnage for the credit markets. And you're just starting to see a little bit of that show up, but not in a dramatic fashion. But once again, longer term, you should expect higher interest, higher inflation, higher interest rates. So the good thing about this is that it's short term, so you don't have a lot of duration risk. But, you know, do you need it to be so short? The current effective duration on this is only 2.5 years. Going about a little longer is probably what I would say, four, five, six years, I think is fine. You don't want to go super long, but, you know, intermediate term, you're going to get much better yields. And understand that the 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 payout that this is giving you is something that is variable depending on the inflation rate and so that's why it starts to be reflected in the underlying price 
So long and short of it is, no, this is not an exciting name for me to be uh, to have in your portfolio for retirement because of the variability of that of that uh, interest rate, as well as the fact that I want to be compensated uh, for with my with my capital. Uh, I want to take a little credit risk to get much better yields, and you're just not getting that here. Now let's keep things moving. Here comes another caller question from our 24-7 voice bank at 888-99-CHART. Hello, Justin or Steve. Mike from Texas. I'm looking at starting a position with Vichay, ticker VSH, Victor Sierra Hotel. I know tech and growth have struggled this year, but I like Vichay's metrics. Good return on equity, good price to sales, good price to free cash flow and dividend. I am concerned about the institutional ownership at 96%. What are your thoughts about this company and the high institutional ownership? Thank you for your time. Uh, well, first off, high institutional ownership isn't a bad thing. Those tend to be stronger hands. So it's about the trend of that. Uh, I'm not seeing that high. I'm seeing funds own about 62%, which is pretty high, but not that up to 90 plus percent that you're speaking about. Uh, over the last year, fund ownership is basically flat. So that's, you know, kind of neutral there. 2.2% yield. Now let's see what they do. Let's see what they do, because that's going to be important to this uh, to, to this analysis. Now, they provide a broad product to portfolio, so discrete semiconductor and passive electronic components. Hmm. Let's see. Okay. So they provide components to OEM manufacturers, automotive, consumer, telecom. Hmm. So not very high value type of business, but a very consistent business, a very strong business. Uh, and so I like that. Uh, now the chart is still pretty bearish. Uh, it's getting a little bounce now, but I'm not seeing anything that's telling me the downtrend is going to end, but I do like the value that you're you're getting here. Uh, enterprise value to EBITDA, like you said, only three. Historically, it's traded between nine and roughly two and a half. So it's down to about three. So definitely on the low end there. And let me look at the longer term chart. Let me see if there's any major support. Yeah, it's actually down to the 100 week moving average where it typically has found support basically since 08. And so I'm gonna give this VSH a, a thumbs up. I like the overall valuation and I like the technicals. If you're listening to Invest Talk, we're heading into our final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hey, Justin and Steve, this is Rob from Connecticut Calling. Wondering if you have any experience or if you've advised anyone in purchasing tax liens on property and collecting interest. Want to see if you guys think that's a viable investing option in place of purchasing properties. I'd uh, love to see what you think. Thanks. Buying tax liens. Uh, frankly, I don't have a lot of feedback here. Uh, I've never done it. Uh, it's probably is a good email, a good, good question for Steve. Uh, he's, invested in real estate longer than I have. And I know he's 
you know, in, in tougher times, these things tend to be uh, more, more attractive. So we're going into tougher times, especially in the real estate market. Um, but I don't really have any feedback for you. I wish I did. Uh, but I would email Steve directly and he can probably uh, give you a little more color there. Okay. Now I want to pivot to private equity. And there have been a lot of geniuses made in private equity over the last decade plus due to low interest rates, cheap debt, and these private equity firms going in buying up small, medium-sized businesses. Most of them have little debt. And what they do is they lever up the balance sheet, meaning they borrow money against the company and its cash flows. And the goal is over time to pay down that debt, create some synergies in the business, maybe combine them with other businesses in their portfolio, and just try to manage them through the deleveraging process. And that has worked very well over the past decade plus because it's easy to refinance debt at low rates. There's a lot of money sloshing around because of uh, strong liquidity. And so it's easy to find deals. And currently there's still being deals being made at pretty strong valuations and the paper returns look good. But this time is a lot different than the last decade plus. Corporate buyouts are often more of a financial ploy than really creating value, right? It's financializing the economy. When you have interest rates that low, that tends to be what, happen when what happens when capital is that cheap. But this is different than previous boom and bust cycles over the past really 40 years because you don't have that next level of cheaper debt to save the day. Now, the amount of money invested by private equity funds has gone up to $4.6 trillion. That's up from $1.3 trillion in 2009. Well, who's buying these deals? Pension funds, insurance companies trying to chase returns. Most of these have doubled their allocation of private equity over the past decade or so. Now, $3.3 trillion managed by private equity firms is currently invested in private companies. $850 billion of that were deals done just last year when valuations were sky high. The average valuation multiple for American transactions last year was 19.3 times EBITDA. 2007, it was only 12.6. So roughly 50% more expensive than 2007. And that's 2007 wasn't the bottom of the market, right? That wasn't 08. Now, private equity firms benefit from the fact that their assets are illiquid. And this goes for all private type of investments, private REITs, private bond funds, private type, uh, any type of investment. There's this sheen that they can paint over valuations because they can kind of mess with things to make the returns on paper look wonderful. 
But when you go to sell, oftentimes the value is very different. So be aware of that. So if I'm looking for a broader issue in the investment world, I actually think private equity is the main place where there's a lot of misallocation of capital. So if you have exposure there, I urge you to be sooner, to, to liquidate sooner rather than later when everyone else panics out. Well, that does it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about a free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.